He's made a way. He's made a way. In the midst of every trial, in the midst of every circumstance, Jesus has found a way when there is no way. And we get to be the recipients of it. Well, I want to go straight to the text. I want you to open with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, verse number 63 through 23, verse number 25. Have that out as we go through our message. But right now, get your finger on verse 67 and 68. I want to read this in your hearing. It says, if you are the Christ, tell us. But Jesus, he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. If I tell you, your mind's made up, you're not going to believe me. But if, if I ask you, you won't go look and check my resume. and You won't answer me. Now, Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us so much. And we only get to love you because you first loved us. You showed us mercy, you showed us grace, even when we didn't deserve it. And we confess that we are unworthy of the price that you paid. We don't know why, but we're grateful. We don't know how, but you did it. And so we thank you that everything you've done for us, you've done despite of us. And so we ask you today, to continue to pour out your grace and mercy. Open the mind of our heart, open our minds and our eyes to see and hear that which you want to communicate to us in this Passion Week. We'll be careful to give you all the grace and all the mercy and all the praise because of what you have done. Now, Lord, I thank you for every gift that you've placed on my life. I decrease so that you may increase, and I ask you to use me, God however you choose. Everybody who's in agreement with that prayer, would you say, I know that's right. <laughs> I know that's right. Thank you, praise team. Now, I know that's right is an interesting phrase, right? We, we use that phrase when we say we are in complete agreement with what has been spoken. When someone is making a point and, and you believe they are for sure, for sure telling the truth, you can answer with, I know that's right. This is the type of answer we need to give to God's word. Uh, the Bible declares that he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should need to repent. I know it's right because time and time again, I have seen the unchangeable God do just what he said he would do over and over again. When I speak, you can write my words in light ink or sharp pencil, but when God speaks, he writes his words on stone tablets. For he knows that heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. How many of you know that's right? Amen. Well, family, we are in the Passion Week, and this week we're that, we're that which God had declared regarding our salvation is reaching its climax. Jesus, the one the prophet would call Emmanuel, 
has just been honored and celebrated by the people of Jerusalem as he is entered in Jerusalem. They've waved their palms, they've celebrated, they've clapped their hands and laid down their coats. He has fulfilled scripture, entering the city lowly and meek, riding upon a donkey, doing exactly what the scriptures have declared beforehand. Throughout his public ministry, he has been everything we couldn't. He was tempted in every way like we were, but he did not sin. He has given a place to those who had no place. He has called the people back to fellowship with God. He has healed the sick, raised the dead, walked on water, given sight to the blind, and preached the gospel to the poor and the oppressed. But still, under the cover of darkness, Jesus has still been betrayed arrested and mocked and beaten for being exactly what he was born and proclaimed to be according to the scriptures. No matter what he said, did, or proved, his accusers still sought aggressively to get him to this day. It it strikes me sometimes that life is just that way, right? Sometimes people will get their mind set about you before you can ever get a word in. And it seems that regardless of all the good you do in the world, if you told them, they wouldn't believe. And if you asked them, they still wouldn't answer. And that's what we find ourselves today in the text. Jesus, the innocent and immutable Emmanuel, has set to go before the Jerusalem Council of Elders and priests to be rejected. Then sent before Pilate to be found innocent but disregarded passed off to Herod to be belittled and berated, only to go back to Pilate to be unjustly condemned and put to death. But wait a minute. Before you start feeling sorry for poor little old Jesus, before you start to see him as a victim, before you start to see him as just another 33-year-old man whose life was cut short too soon, and before you start to wonder what could have come of his life if he just had a little more time. You need to know that Jesus is the way to salvation for all who believe because he, an innocent man, served as the just substitution for our sins, satisfying the wrath of God. According to Mark L. Strauss, a biblical translator and scholar, he says that the central Christological theme of the Passion Narrative In other words, that just means what you need to know all about what Jesus did is his innocence. His innocence portrays him as the righteous servant from Isaiah 53. God made sure that this Jesus had no way out of the ridicule, suffering, trial, crucifixion, and death so that when he raised him with all power in his hands, he could make a way to raise you up with him. That's why we call him the way maker, because he makes a way out of no way. So with the time that's mine, I want to preach to you from the topic, no way for the way maker. Jesus made sure he had no way to get out of the crucifixion, to get out of the trial, to get out of his suffering, to make sure that you had a way to see salvation. And listen, we stand upon the shoulders of others. 
we need to realize that we are only able to get through because what others have gone through. We're only able to make it to the next phase because someone else has already passed a test for you. Every pastor, coach, leader, parent you had has developed a mindset within you that would only not only help you impact yourself, but the life and generations to come. Those whose shoulders you have stood on were speaking into your future. They were speaking into your tomorrow through the actions that they took and the example that they set. It's not ironic in verse number 64 of our text today, the guards mock Jesus by hitting him and asking him to prophesy about who did it and who was going to do it next. If we were to define prophecy very simply, uh, prophecy is simply the history of events before they come to pass. It's telling the truth beforehand so that others can prepare and be warned of appending events. Everything about Jesus' life, Corey, was a prophecy. And Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14 prophesies his virgin birth, saying, Behold, the Lord will give a sign, and the virgin shall conceive a son who shall be called Emmanuel. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, uh, this is fulfilled through the angel who comes to Mary and says, God has filled your womb, and the child in your womb shall be called the Son of God. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus himself declared that he was the one from Isaiah 61 when he stood up in the temple and said, The Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind in the year of God's favor. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus' prophecy to Simon Peter that today you will catch fish, but from now on you're going to be a fisher of men. He was speaking into his future. Luke 17, 24 through 25, uh, we see after Jesus declaring the end times, he declares his very own end saying these words, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. Surely Jesus's life was like a flash of lightning that came in mystery and power, and then it was gone. And surely he suffered and was rejected. If prophecy is telling the truth before, beforehand, then Jesus had been telling the truth about his life and death far before it ever took place. Look with me at the most important prophecy that Jesus told his disciples after reminding him of everything written by him about the prophets that the Son of Man would be accomplished. He says this in, in Luke's chapter 18, for, we, for he, talking of himself, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Like, like air you're trying to grasp, like water slipping through your fingers. The, the, the fingers of their mind could not grasp and hold on to what Jesus was trying to say. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. Maybe it was an important meeting and information was being shared and, and you're just trying to hold on, but you just can't seem to get it. Maybe you're in a, a, an important conversation with someone you love and they're sharing some information about the life that they're living, the, something that they're going through, and for some reason you're distracted and you just can't hold on to what is being said. There was a blockage that was in the way, even though they knew Jesus tells the truth before it happens. Even though everything he said came true, they couldn't grasp what was being said. And I believe that this is not that they didn't understand the words. If you think that you're not paying attention to the text. I, I think it's much more subjective than that. This is not a question of understanding. This is a question of belief. They don't believe because their predetermined rules about what should be true and what they want to be true don't align. They can't grasp what he said. It's, it's hidden from them. Maybe you remember the first time that Jesus told his disciples that he would be put to trial and put to death in Matthew 16, 21. Uh, it was right after Peter declared that Jesus was the Messiah. He asked the question, who do you say that I am? And no sooner Peter calls him the Messiah, he drops the news. He, he, he kept it a bean with him for my young people. He kept it a hundred and said, listen, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the elders and chief priests, then be killed and then raised on the third day. So Peter pulls Jesus into a closed door meeting and he says to him, I'm going to paraphrase a bit. Now, look, Jesus, I just called you the Messiah. You can't be going around telling people you're about to die. It's messing with my Messiah message. People are going to start thinking I'm prophesying instead of prophesying. Some of y'all be prophesying. You know you do. Peter is wrapped up in what he wants to believe about Jesus. But look at Jesus' response. He says, get behind me, Satan. He don't, even call him, he don't even call him Peter. Look, this is not even you talking right now, brother. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. You're not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. That's why you can't get it. That's why, why slipping through your fingers. There's a mindset that is blocking the message. Sometimes we need to put ourselves in the text. This helps me when I'm trying to move towards application of something I'm studying or reading. Uh, we need to say, Jamon, your mindset is blocking you from understanding. You're thinking too much about what the Messiah means to you instead of what the Messiah meant to me. Jamon, you're caught up in eisegesis instead of exegesis for my biblical scholars. You focus too much, Jamon, on what you want to believe and what others think about you versus what I have declared over you. Or maybe you're saying you're trying to save yourself instead of losing yourself. I need you to deal with these biases and mindsets that are keeping you from understanding the truth that is revealed so that when you are told the truth, you believe it. And when you are asked, you can answer. So I want to share some things with you regarding the Christ passion so that your mindset can be on God as we go through this series. 
and as we prepare for what's to come in this Passion Week. But beloved, I also want to warn you, using three examples of biblical characters right here in this text, people whose mindset was on things of man and prevented them from walking in the way of salvation that God had made. Family, you've heard Pastor Corey say it many times, either you're in trouble, coming out of trouble, or on your way back into trouble. And I want to give you some words of encouragement in those seasons to help you keep your mindset on God. The mindset on God through the passion narrative reveals that through the unimaginable suffering of Jesus' trial, he was fulfilling God's plan so you could live a life full of hope if you believe. The mindset on God helps you see that Jesus is standing in your place, trading his innocence and righteousness for your guilt and sin if you believe. So you don't need to be perfect because he was perfect. You don't need to have it all together because he already had it all together. So really quickly, I just want to give you three godly mindsets that will prepare you to look through the trial, crucifixion, and death of Jesus that you, that we essentially will examine as we explore the passion narrative in this series. Maybe you're in your stage in your life where you don't know if you're going to make it to the next day. And truthfully, we are all there. None of us know what tomorrow is going to hold for us. Um, maybe you're sick in your body with cancer, with COVID, with dementia, uh, with some terminal disease that has no cure. Listen, you can live with hope when you have this mindset that Jesus had on death right from the Psalms that says this. For you will not abandon my soul to seal or let your Holy One see corruption. Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. Here in this earth, I got hope and hope doesn't make me ashamed. In this life, I can look forward to death knowing that death is a graduation. Maybe you're in a stage where you're in a season of crucifixion and no matter what you do, you just feel like as soon as you come up for air, something keeps pulling you down. Seems like Satan keeps throwing roadblocks in your way time after time. And maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you're going through a painful relationship that has become volatile. Listen to Joseph who endured all manner of suffering while doing good and have this mindset from Genesis 50, chapter, verse number 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Maybe you're in the midst of a difficult trial-like situation where you're being slandered and accused for wrongdoing like Jesus. Maybe you're being run through the mud on social media, or maybe you see other people making ignorant comments on social media. A lot of that is going around. Keep this mindset from Isaiah 53, knowing Jesus was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, and he was despised and we did not care. Verse number seven, he was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. Listen, I, I don't know, beloved, if you have the understanding that sometimes you need to give people the gift of silence. 
Sometimes the best thing you can say is to say nothing. Maybe they wouldn't believe you if you told them, and maybe you wouldn't answer if, they, if you asked them. So instead of responding to silly questions on social media that, that, that lack love in the heart of God, just bless them with silence in your absence. You will notice if you look at the text that when Jesus moved from response to silence in the trial, he started telling them in verse 67 that their hearts were not right. He tells them the truth of their hearts. In verse 69, he prophesies, telling them the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. He tells them in verse 70, he answers his accusers, his accusers when he says, you say that I am. And then in verse tw chapter 23, verse 3, he answers Pilate with, you have said so. Not a whole lot of words. Not a whole lot of words. But then it just abruptly stops. It stops because it's clear that their predetermined beliefs, which are flawed, are preventing them from seeing the truth. And listen, we all have these biases that keep us from seeing the truth. Every one of us suffer with it. Sometimes our mindsets are based on something we deem as important, like the things we value. Your personal values cause you to construct rules about how you believe others should respond and or behave. These are not all bad, right? Sometimes they're good. Often the problem, though, with things that are good, the good of man, is that it has one oh too many. A mindset on man might sometimes be good, but it can't always be God. So these are some three man-made mindsets that we see uh, that I want to show you here as we move towards the close of this message. These are man-made mindsets that I see in the text that are blocking the way of salvation. These are dangerous mindsets because they are rooted in human reasoning. So I want to give you these warnings so you can avoid these dangerous mindsets. And I'm going to tell you the mindsets. I'm going to tell you why they're dangerous. And then I'm going to tell you how to fix them. All right, so we're going to move quickly. Dangerous mindset number one. The first one is the mindset of the counselor. See, their mindset is a value to maintain their authority, which is hiding the way to salvation. They have a value to maintain their authority, which is hiding the way to salvation. When you want to stay in control of a situation, this is a dangerous mindset. And here's why. Because your desire for authority or control may cause you to miss out on the glory of acceptance and get you stuck in over-rationalization. Your value to maintain control may cause you to ignore your intuition and cause you to listen to your inner critic. The council is stuck, you see, because they have a mindset on control rather than a mindset on God who is in control. The council, if you look at the text, has the loudest voice through the entire text. Herod, Pilate, neither of them can get a word in because at every turn they are taking control of the situation so that their narrative is heard the loudest. Look with me at Luke chapter 20. Uh, Jesus was teaching in the temple for all to hear, and the scribes came up asking him, who gave you this authority? And so Jesus says, well, I'm going to answer your question, but first, let me ask you one, and if you answer my question, then I'll answer yours. Tell me this, 
was the baptism from John from heaven or from man? And they started to rationalize. They discussed it with one another saying, well, if we say it was from heaven, he going to ask us why you ain't just believe it then. But if we say it was from man, then all the people going to stone us to death because they were certain that this dude was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. They pleaded the fifth. And Jesus said to them, well, then if you're going to plead the fifth, I'm not telling you where my authority comes from. This is a mindset on maintaining your authority. And this is how we fix it. You need to accept the truth first. Then figure out what you want to do with it later. See, so many times we're trying to figure out what we want to do with the truth we got before we actually believe it. The way you fix this mindset is you accept the truth first. Then you'll figure out what to do with it later. Let's move on to the next one. This one is very close to the first one, uh, but a bit different. This is where Pilate is. He has a dangerous mindset around this. He has a value of maintaining his perceptions over truth. This is hiding the way for him to salvation. His value of maintaining the perceptions others have of him over truth. When we choose the perceptions over truth, this is a dangerous mindset, and here's why. You miss out on the opportunity to honor your personal convictions. Mm -hmm. You miss out on the opportunity to make the right decision because you're using the wrong metrics of evaluation. For Pilate, he's overly concerned of what he is trying to prevent. You see, Pilate uh, is serving two masters. He's got the law of Rome in one hand, and he's got the chaos of the people in the other hand. Pilate is the only one actually, interestingly, from the text that sees the truth that Jesus is actually innocent. Three times, Pilate makes this assertion. I find no guilt in this man. Listen, I don't see him guilty, but he did this. But but I know, I still don't see him guilty. But people were saying this, I know, but I still don't see him guilty. If you look at the parallel narratives in this story in Matthew and John's Gospels, you will see that Pilate was extremely conflicted about this decision. His wife says to him, listen, baby, I had a dream. You need to stay away from this one. (laughs) You need to to remove yourself from this situation. I I had a dream about this. He can see that Jesus is innocent, yet the crowds are ready to riot because elders and chief priests have stirred up agitators in the crowd. Scholars tell us that more than anything, Pilate wanted to avoid chaos because Rome was growing weary of his inability to maintain civility in that region. So when he heard that Jesus was from Galilee and that Herod was in town, he was all too happy to pass that buck on over to Herod. Let me get this one out of my hands. Let me get this over to Herod. Let him deal with this nonsense. I I, I don't want to mess with this. See, this is is what he wanted to do. He he, he, He tried to avoid the perception that the riot came because he chose the wrong decision. So what do we do? How do we fix this? 
when we have an overvalue of maintaining the perception of others over truth. This is what we do. You honor your convictions, and then you trust God with the results. Honor your convictions, and then trust God with the results. Here's the last mindset. Hope this is helping you. This is Herod's mindset. Herod has a dangerous mindset because he has a value for recognition and favor. He has a value of recognition and favor. This is hiding the way to salvation for him. You see, when you choose recognition and favor, this is a dangerous mindset, and here's why. You will believe that what you want is more important than what God wants. And when you don't get what you want, you will reveal the true nature of your heart of contempt. According to our text, verse 9 of chapter 23, Herod is the only one who actually seems happy to see Jesus. I emphasize seems. He seems happy to see Jesus. Luke chapter 9 tells us that early on in Jesus' ministry, Herod had sought an audience with Jesus, but the more Jesus rejected his false attention, the more agitated he became, and he wanted to kill him too. Herod had an insatiable desire for pleasure and entertainment, and he wanted to be celebrated and feel like he was looked upon with favor. His desire for pleasure led him to seduce the wife of his half-brother, Philip. And if that wasn't enough, he even had his eyes on his daughter-in-law after his wife convinced her to give a Herod and his guests a seductive dance. It was originally John the Baptist that called Herod out on this. He called out his adultery and his desire for praise before the people. This led to John the Baptist's arrest and ultimate death. And in some ways, Herod actually enjoyed hearing the preaching. Of John. He enjoyed the preaching and teaching of Jesus and seeing the miracles, but only when it tickled his ears and satisfied his curiosity. Which is why in Luke chapter 13, Jesus recognized his motives, calling him a fox. You see, someone who's a sly fox may at first glance appear to be non threatening and foolish. But rest assured, they are working another angle. They may be playing the victim card, or they may be attempting to come across as genuine, but as soon as you give them the gift of silence by not recognizing them or favoring them, then their true character is going to come out. As soon as Jesus didn't give Herod what he wants, by giving him miracles and giving him his favor, Herod shrinks down to the place that he already is at, right at the level with his guards, mocking and treating Jesus with contempt. What do we do? How do we fix it? We root our desires in what God desires so that when our ways please him, he gives us the desires of our heart. God will give you, meaning He's going to put in you the desires you need to have when you root yourself in him. So I implore you today, 
to set your mind on things of God rather than things of man so that you can believe all the prophets have spoken about this man we call Jesus. Here's why. Because through his trial, he has made a way of deliverance from the sins that make you guilty. Through his crucifixion, he has made a way of healing for the illnesses you suffer. Through his death and resurrection, he has made a way of hope through your disappointments that you Jesus Christ made sure he had no way so that he could make a way of salvation for you and I. So as the worship team plays, I want you to search your heart and ask yourself, do I have a dangerous mindset? Is something blocking from me the way of salvation? Is something keeping me wrapped up in the direction in a way that God is trying to lead me out of? Because the fingers of my mind just can't hold on to it. I've got my bias. I've got my, 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 my what I'm thinking about too much involved. And I need to get my mind focused on him. Look to the Lord with 